Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. My name is David Orban and this is episode 20. Uh, this started as an experiment uh, just a few days ago because I like to find uh, new things to do even when I'm uh, in uh, lockdown in my home and uh, also as a discovery of tools and practices and dynamics uh, and then little by little uh, new things uh, came together. So if you uh, like uh, uh, searching for the question live, uh, one of the things that came together just recently uh, is that we created a community uh, that today lives on the Discord chat server, uh, and uh, you can join that uh, by going to the URL that you see on the on the screen, uh, where we discuss uh, the experiments that we are conducting, the tools that we are using, as well as the themes that we are addressing. Uh, you are also welcome to sign up to my newsletter uh, and of course uh, support the show on patreon if uh, you believe that this one as well as other content uh, uh, that i am creating and value that i'm hopefully sharing uh, with uh, you and the world uh, are deserving of your attention i also welcome your questions uh, we have uh, live uh, viewers uh, all over the world uh, and uh, it will be wonderful to see comments and questions and hopefully answer them as we enter, of course, uh, in the theme of uh, today's uh, conversation uh, with my friend, Cristina Gabetti. Cristina, welcome on the show. Thank you so much, David. It's wonderful to be connected here too with you and you are always a mastermind of new ways to bring people together and so... Uh, Look forward to this conversation. So, um, as I also uh, wrote, uh, copying and pasting, big effort from your wonderful uh, uh, website, uh, which I'm happy to to show and share with with people. Uh, you have been uh, a, a journalist uh, since the beginning uh, in in a, a very exciting sector, which is uh, music journalism, and maybe we will talk about it uh, a bit. But then, uh, as you became a mother, especially. Uh, you developed a keen sensibility around uh, issues of uh, uh, sustainability, uh, the environment, and uh, you also wrote, wrote uh, books around that, as well as you have uh, a, a very popular segment on uh, uh, the Italian television. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, trajectory uh, that, that your uh, professional and personal life uh, had? Uh, maybe starting with the anecdotes around interviewing rock stars and everything. Well, the trajectory uh, starts before I got into rock and roll. I actually, after university, I got into advertising and I was a copywriter for two years. And I still actually use the fruits of that experience now because learning to uh, communicate in a hopefully engaging way and condensed way seemed to be my fate going down. Um, I've always been frustrated by the small windows that I've had to communicate, but I think that with the level of concentration there is today, it's probably a benefit. Uh, and when I left advertising, I, uh, which I was practicing in New York, I came to Milano and 
this kind of reveals a bit of my age, but <laughs> Mediaset was just um, not even named Mediaset yet at the time. And I joined a, the entertainment newsroom before the, the daily news program started. And we were all very, very young and very passionate. And I kind of took hold of, of my segment, uh, rock and roll, because fashion and, um, and film were already covered, but rock and roll had always been my passion. So certainly being a mother tongue English speaker helped, but I started with, uh, I'd say the, one of the first interviews was with Miles Davis and it was quite an experience because he, I'd gone to Rome for the press conference and uh, the questions were so lame and he really had no problems you know, giving, voicing what he felt, that he just left the room. And I had been given uh, an, a one-on-one -on -one interview with him, and so I timidly go up to the, to the, uh, the person from the, the press officer from the re recording company, and I say, well, you know, I'm, I, I have this interview. And he was like, well, look, doesn't seem like you have this interview. And I said, well, can't you at least tell me what room he's in? And um, I don't know, the guy told me the room number, so I knocked at the door, and this huge man opens the door and looks at me like, what are you doing here? But right in front of the door of the suite was the door of the bedroom and Miles, you know, opened. I just saw one eye and he took a look at me and he said, let her in. So uh, I entered the room and then we set up everything and we're about to start and we hit the lights and the power goes off in the room. So we ended up having a what he left went back to his room he came back i must say that a bit of pretty power probably helped because you know i was definitely enthusiastic and uh and you know trying to be as as kind as i could and it turned out to be a memorable i can't show it to you now because i have it inside but he he drew out he pulled out a, a drawing from his book and he dedicated it to the best from the best so wow, beautiful I, <laughs> the sad thing though is just to say how in in you know when you when you are a big media company and you deal with archiving and we're talking about the analog age things were archived so badly that that interview no longer exists and i was you know very proper and professional oh i handed God. in all my tapes and i never took any tapes home with me but um it's, you know, it, it, it tore me apart because it, it would be a wonderful interview to listen to in, in hindsight. He died a couple of years later. So that was the beginning of a wonderful 12 years. I won't get into the details or we could talk all night, but I was always passionate about digging into the lifestyles and really the essence of the person that then brought artists to, to compose their music. So I, I must say I was very fortunate and I pretty much interviewed all our, the myths of our time. And um, as I said though, we were in a day where I can't go and re, you know, uh, re share those, those clips or review them because they're on tapes that, you know, have mostly disappeared. And uh, your, um, entering uh, journalism then uh, prepared you for all kinds of new possibilities that you were able to leverage as 
both the world, together with you, wanted to learn about technology, about the future, about sustainability, about the impact of our civilization on the planet. And uh, um, that uh, has been also very interesting because, of course, uh, the the, uh, the ability to articulate complex themes in a manner that... uh, people who are not specialists can relate to it and can be both engaging and entertaining is is not a common ability. Well, thank you. I'd say the underlying skill that I acquired uh, at university, I was very lucky to study at Yale College, was uh, learning how to do research and doing thorough research. I'd also say that the other underlying quality that I have is a deep curiosity for anything. So I go for major overkills. I, I read books for short interviews or, you know, you've been through this too because I've had the pleasure of interviewing you. But, you know, hour, hour and a half long conversations condensed into two-page articles. So what that does, though, is uh, it gives me the possibility to digest things and to uh, really analyze not only the specific topic of what I'm going to write about or narrate, uh, but also the context. And, um, and so when I became a mother, uh, I really, the reason I'm on the path that, I, that I'm on today is because I questioned what world my children would really inherit. And I started doing research on the impact um, of you know, how we live. And I found myself in this huge gap between what we know and how we live. And I felt a calling to fill that gap in some way. And I started experimenting sustainable solutions, you know, really 360 degrees. So from really very simple things, what chemicals to bring into my house, what, um, what, what to put in, on, in contact with my baby's skin, what to feed my baby with, and you know, what colors were going to best create the environment for you know, the development not only of the senses, but also of the brain, discovering amazing things. If you put a blind person in a blue room, the brain waves are slower than in a yellow room. So that means that really we absorb color with our senses, you know, far beyond just our simple eyesight. So every step of the way was a huge revelation. I, I, I discovered the REACH directive, which, um, you know, basically evaluates chemicals and their impact on us and the environment, discovering that, they're, that we're guinea pigs for thousands of chemical compounds that have been used since the 50s and that do have adverse effects, but they're still commonly, you know, put in most products we use. So it really became a huge learning curve of both facts and information, but translated into practical action. And uh, at the end of, of, or at the end, it doesn't end, it's an endless journey, but at one point I thought, you know, I'd, I'd love to share what I've been learning and, uh, and that's, that brought me to writing my first book, which took me a very long time because I wanted to find the right voice. I didn't want to sound like I was preaching, like I was a know-it-all, like, you know, I, was, I just wanted to share 
the quality of my experience, but not only, also the amount of information that I had amassed. And that brought me onto a whole new trajectory because Antonio Ricci saw the book and uh, asked me to host a segment. I thought he was joking. And, uh, and so we laughed it through and I, he said, well, just, so I said, well, how do you want me to visualize these things that, you know, that I'm going to do? And he said, well, you just do them. So the first episode, I measured how much water we waste when we brush our teeth with the open faucet. And then, you know, throughout the years, it obviously became much more complex. And, and the, the challenge there was to be credible for people who had a high level of knowledge on these topics, but also to be accessible for people who had no idea at all. And, um, and I, I guess I, I mastered out of just this pure passion for you know, uh, the quality of our life and how today we are determining the quality of our life tomorrow. Um, and um, yeah, and, and I guess the formula kind of self-evolved uh, and then also brought me to explore the impact of technologies on A, the possibility of scaling good solutions and B, also on what it means to be human. And I don't I, think... I, I, I want to highlight uh, uh, Anjad, who is saying hello from uh, Pakistan, and, and uh, just to show how uh, global uh, our audience is. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, very graciously and somewhat uh, unexpectedly, uh, Rehan Alahwala, who was uh, a guest uh, on Searching for the Question Live uh, a few um, uh, days ago, uh, invited me uh, to also share these videos on his uh, Facebook page that has uh, more than a million and a half uh, uh, followers uh, uh, between this one and another couple uh, where we are now streaming as well. So uh, if uh, uh, we have a somewhat disproportionate um, uh, uh, participation, uh, from uh, Pakistan, uh, that is the reason I just wanted to explain that. And of course, uh, all those questions are welcome, as well as from other places in the world. Wonderful, yes. I mean, so I, 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 I interrupted you when you were talking about uh, technology. And uh, uh, for me, uh, the, the starting point, as well as the arrival point of so many things, is, is technology. When we have our conversations... We like to find uh, uh, common points uh, which are uh, uh, very welcome, especially because our starting points are quite different. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, for me, the understanding of, of sustainability doesn't come from an a priori respect for nature. Mm -hmm. I like nature, but I don't feel that nature likes me equally. Nature would be very happy to kill me at any opportunity. I know that. And uh, I, I see a, a very uh, pragmatic uh, reason to, to respect nature more than we do is because we need it to survive. And, uh, and so for me, technology is not something we have to use minimally. We have to use maximally, including for creating better sustainability for ourselves and uh, for the generations to come. How do you see the role of technology in your specific uh, uh, points of view? 
Well, uh, I could not have written my first book without the internet. So that was one first big thing. Uh, I did not have access to a library in all languages and with such a wide array of, of topics and books as the ones I consulted. Um, we, we pretty much saw the evolution of technology, you know, happen in real time. And I have, I mean, I think that, that you and I have often met on common grounds in a very interesting way, but as you said, starting from, from maybe opposite even uh, points of view. I, I deeply appreciate all the possibilities that we have to share. Now, when we get into the zillions of functions that our phone actually uh, have, I sometimes feel like there is a fine line between being capable of reminding oneself of something and, and practicing consciousness and figuring things out and instead having our device figure things out for, for us. And so I, I, have, I'm, I also have a, an 18-year-old and he is completely engrossed uh, in his uh, phone and I see how that sometimes messes up with his level of awareness. So my exploration is, is he is he by the way still under punishment and he can only use the phone in <laughs> given hours? Well, we remembered that yesterday. What happened is that the poor guy is graduating in this very absurd time and he is prisoner of his two parents. His siblings both live away. Uh, and has been in lockdown for four weeks. So, no, that uh, we released that um, that limitation because it was seriously infringing on his focus and concentration uh, for when you know in relation to schoolwork. Uh, but now he doesn't need to be preparing for an exam because they won't have an exam, and he's in the process of finishing his last bit of of work. I also feel like I would be torturing him if I didn't allow him to communicate with his peers while he's in lockdown with his parents. But I do observe quite, um, quite uh, with curiosity again and not judging, but really what it does to our brain. And I think that there's so much to yet understand about human technology and how our brain works and um, and how we orchestrate our you know different parts you know not only the brain but also the the heart and and our creative energy that you know I, I need to keep it under check. Nonetheless, my my screen time has doubled <laughs> the last weeks because you know we're. In yesterday, yesterday we had a guest uh, from uh, New York, uh, and he said, "I finished Netflix." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he arrived at the end of Netflix. Right. <laughs> well, talking so, about platforms, though, that's an. I yesterday had to download Chili because we became Homeland junkies. We, I think, we're the only people on the planet who had not seen Homeland yet, but ended season six, which was on Netflix, and season eight is on Sky. And where is season seven? So talk about com competition and different platforms, which you know will bring me also to uh, asking you about the platform you're, you're using, 
but a, a good interface makes all the difference. So Chile cannot compete with Netflix, for example. Yeah, and it is. It is uh, amazing how we develop uh, a keen understanding of uh, the nuances of those interfaces. Uh, what is convenient, what is inconvenient. And for example, you know, I have many of them, uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and, and whatever else. I haven't fallen into the chili trap yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I can, for example, compare Netflix with Amazon Prime and realize that with all the money they have, Amazon hasn't been able to create an interface that is Absolutely. as informative and convenient and and smooth, uh, and as, smooth as exactly and sleek and and uh, yeah, I fully agree with you. For we also watch some things with subtitles because my husband is Italian, and though we've been together for a long time, he likes a subtitle. And the subtitles on Amazon are you know terrible compared to the ones on Netflix. They're in yeah. bold black and instead of being, you know, light. And so that's just to say that there are many nuances and they do make a difference. And they also make a difference into how much a technology will lure you in, though, which is mm -hmm. why it brings me on to, you know, the the following the development of empathy in in technolo technological tools, in robots, things that can really uh engage us and uh and create emotions emojis for example i mean <laughs> i love them uh most people don't really like all the emojis i use at the end of a conversation but i feel like there's a you know writing an email for example compared to writing a letter i sometimes get stuck on the first two lines because i don't want to be cold and dry i don't want to be too flaky either but there's something about technology that changes the nature of the conversation. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Emiliano Morgia, uh, who is a very faithful and loyal uh, um, follower of uh, searching for the question live, uh, chimes in. Uh, and what about Disney Plus? It just started. Well, Emiliano, uh, Disney Plus just started in Italy, but my son is such a Star Wars uh, fan that uh, he um, made everything that was needed to be able to sign up for Disney Plus, uh, pretending to be in the U.S. with a virtual private network, with a U.S.-based uh, debit card, with, uh, you know, whatever uh, borderline illegal uh, identity uh, tricks. Uh, uh, and, uh, and he was able to watch um, The Mandalorian, which uh, is uh, this uh, short series that... Uh, was exclusively uh, streaming on uh, Disney Plus, and 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 of course these geo uh, fencing uh, uh, expectations in a globally connected world of uh, the streaming services are really painful. I understand that they have their global agreements and they sold the rights, or they haven't sold the rights, and whatever else. But uh, uh, we will go necessarily towards satisfying the need of, of somebody who doesn't want to wait. And, and I am happy for my son to have done what he did because the alternative would have been easy. Just go to Pirate Bay and, and, and get it uh, um, without signing up for the service, right? 
So, so the fact that he didn't do that, but he 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 went to uh, uh, to the to the legal uh, option uh, is 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 nice because he wanted to reward the creators. Uh, so let's make it easier rather than harder to do that. Well, but what you're talking about is exactly the meeting of the older and the newer technologies, because it's the same problem I had with Homeland. Uh, when you sell television rights is where it gets complicated because, or where you, you know you sell rights to different platforms. I mean, with television does come into the whole uh, conversation and probably if there weren't territorial differences, uh, one platform will own a series and will put it out to the entire world. But what I think breaks things up is this meeting of, you know, different, different types of, of technologies that were born in different times. So Emiliano provides us with the terminology. He says, uh, what Cosimo, my son, did is called home shifting, <laughs> something he does uh, uh, all the time because his girlfriend is uh, from Israel, if I'm seeing the flag yes, uh, correctly. Like so back to emojis, which is the flag, right? Uh, yeah. um, I, I had uh, an important experience, I think, at least 20 years ago, probably 25, between 25 and 30 years ago, uh, I realized that I wasn't texting, right? When, when, when phones were not smartphones, mm -hmm. when phones already had uh, SMS, simple messaging system, text messages, um, people around me were texting and we had those jokes about the thumbs uh, mm -hmm. or people who loved their blackberries and, and and whatever else and i and i realized that i wasn't texting and i wasn't getting the jokes right or i wasn't um in, at the time weren't they weren't emojis they were emoticons yes right? That's right. so so i would use emoticons in my emails mm -hmm. pretty simple ones but I wasn't very much into the emoticon uh, um, language, jargon right. and expression and, 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 and the whole emotions around them. And I am quite proud that I was able to realize how dangerous that moment represented because it could have meant that I was already old and ready to die. <laughs> no, no. But rather than that, I said, okay, I now have to use that. And, and, and then repeatedly, I would realize so many times, uh, thanks to my children, that I had to keep up, whether it was with, with certain music uh, uh, groups, uh, you know, uh, from Skrillex to Linkin Park to whoever else, uh, to using emojis. And now... I am so fluent in gifts. I can do gifts faster than my daughter. And and we just have conversations in gifts and it is so much fun. And do you use the animated are, those aren't gifts are they the animated um uh, the the stickers the the stickers. Yes, yes, I use the stickers as well. Move their face when you talk. Oh yeah. Oh, oh. No, oh, you mean the I don't know what I, I understand. Yes, well, uh, now, uh, I thought I'd be using them all the time when I got my iPhone X, and then I started sending them to people who actually got rather annoyed. Oh, the door, those... unicorn, you know, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a really I, hard time making funny faces and seeing them, yeah, morph into the you know, face of the 
They are called like animojis, animojis, animojis. However, here, here is something important. Uh, evidently, um, the text variant, the uh, emoticons are universal. Mm -hmm. Emojis became universal because the global standards organization whose job is to uh, um, harmonize fonts and alphabets and, and everything else that uh, has to deal with uh, uh, writing and typesetting and so on, the Unicode organization said, Yes, emojis are important enough, and now they are managing how emojis need to evolve. Yeah. Um, and, and they are including new kinds of emojis, you they know, are. they included uh, uh, gay couples, uh, uh, same-sex uh, couples, uh, including same-sex couples with children. They uh, uh, created uh, recently, you know, whatever the variants. <laughs> they, they made the COVID emoji immediately. Oh, virus. did they? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> fantastic! And and uh, um, as always uh, in in technology, as well as in natural systems too, uh, we, there is always a, a battle between uh, um, somebody who who is uh, a front runner, mm -hmm. who introduces something that may be very valuable to everybody else, but at the beginning is proprietary. Yeah, and then. Uh, if it proves itself really valuable, it will spread around and then it will be interoperable across various platforms until it becomes universal and then it will be a standard and everybody will ask themselves, how did we ever live uh, without, uh, without the, uh, the, the various uh, emojis that we are now using instead of, in, instead of writing? So, so, if they, so if they trigger emotions... And if, um, you know, we act not only out of rational impulses, but also out of emotional impulses, I wonder what, um, you know, planet-loving uh, emojis could, could happen so that maybe people can engage others in, in uh, a set of new habits that I really think it's time that we incorporate in our lives. Because going back to the narrative of sustainability, I think that it it has to be as engaging as possible, and I say has to be because I've been working a lot with the 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 2030 agenda and the 17 SDGs. I kind of have filtered my my TV stories through that lens. Um, I've been doing that since the beginning of the season because I I do think it's the first holistic roadmap that we have. It also gives us. I mean, not that we haven't had timelines, we've had the Agenda 2020 and, and, and many other benchmarks of reference, but I kind of think that this is our make it or break it roadmap. And so again, we know all these things, but we seem to have a hard time bringing them to a level of action. I, when I say we, I mean collectively, because I think there's a lot of, you know, many brilliant communities that we have a lot to learn from, there's many very dedicated individuals, but collectively as a race, we seem to have completely disconnected ourselves uh, from nature. We are no longer aware that we are part of nature. So I ask you, how do you think technologies can help us scale that level of awareness? 
Well, uh, the provocation, if you wish, uh, of the UN is extremely useful because you are right. Uh, we uh, have proven in the past to be short-sighted enough to destroy uh, the world that, uh, that supports us and uh, we, we cannot afford it anymore. On one hand, because we ran out uh, of continents to, uh, to destroy, uh, especially us uh, Europeans uh, uh, loved uh, to keep doing that all over. And uh, on the other hand, because luckily, with our global interconnectedness, we are horrified of the famines, of the droughts, uh, of the um, environmental destruction. For example, this summer in, uh, um, or winter, I mean our winter, their summer uh, in Australia, what happened? Uh, uh, Everybody was, was looking at it uh, uh, and, and we were horrified. And 200 years ago, we would have never heard of it. We wouldn't have been impacted by the images, our, our sensibility both for people and koalas or kangaroos or whatever they are, uh, would have been spared um, in a negative way. It is better not to be spared the bad news if... Uh, you are the slowly boiling frog uh, like like we are right, right. now. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, in this sense, uh, technology is already playing the role that it should. It alerts us beforehand so that hopefully we can take action and prevent the, the, the gravest uh, consequences of our own uh, stupidity. Uh, another, uh, a little farther out uh, example that I that I often quote is that uh, when we colonize Mars, uh, their most important export items are going to be the technologies of a hundred percent sustainability that they necessarily are going to uh, develop, deploy, and employ. Because if we can on Earth live under the assumption that 99% uh, uh, recycling is, is incredible, ideal, and we definitely don't need more. Uh, if you only have 99 or even 99.99% recycling on Mars, then the colony is going to go extinct uh, in 10 years. And if you push it, well, then it will go extinct in 20 years. But you don't want either. You want the colony to keep living, quotation mark, forever. So that is why their understanding of sustainability will be so deep, so absolute. And, and they will teach us something that, that we cannot learn or, or we appear not to have learned uh, uh, until now on our own. But I don't want to move to Mars. I love planet Earth. That's okay. You, don't got, you, you haven't got to. Except, except think about it. Aren't you in your own little spaceship right now? Yes, exactly. Uh, 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 you, you have your environment and, and, and food comes to you and water comes to you and you are not allowed to leave. And, and you are encouraged 
to exercise like uh, astronauts are required daily so that your muscles are not depleted uh, in, in your lack of uh, uh, exertion, even though gravity is uh, still the usual. My butt hurts. I'm sitting too much all day. And and I, I would love to have a little less gravity, right? And and uh, and those things are so amazingly similar. I mean, even some of us, I am lucky, I have a wonderful home uh, with a garden and everything, but but uh, uh, so many people in their apartments have their huge, luckily huge televisions, ultra HD images of the world, just like they would have their only windows in space, right? That is what they are experiencing the world with today. Uh, and uh, and I'm not saying that's ideal or desirable or anything, but you don't want to be on Mars. You are on Mars already, no, except I, that you can still breathe the air. That's that's a big important difference. Well, and also there's vegetation, and there's also you know abundant water. We are planet Earth is a spaceship. I mean, we are finite by resources, but we're infinite energy-wise in terms of you know, the energy that really fuels life. So I think that there is still so much to, to, to really enjoy here. I'm an earthling, a devouted earthling, and I really hope that, the, you know, our children's children will be able to, to reap those wonderful pleasures of the simple things in life. You know, dive under a, a wave of clean water walk in a pristine forest, discover the zillions of plants and the, the, the richness of life, because I'm not sure that's what they'd find on Mars. Um, the uh, opportunity is there to use technology even further. We have uh, a whole uh, series of episodes on searching for the life, uh, uh, searching for the question live, uh, that we will dedicate to the pillars of network society. And, and you are familiar with uh, the themes, but isn't it amazing that with uh, hydroponics and cultivated meat, we are going to free up so much of uh, the fertile land today dedicated to industrial agriculture and return it to nature without renouncing to the richness and the healthiness of uh, uh, our food production, which we, we have come to expect, actually even exceeding the variety available today in a manner that doesn't require global transportation of bananas from South America or, or grapes from Australia or from wherever all the things come, we thoughtlessly buy uh, in, the, in the supermarkets at a price that it is mind-bogglingly cheap, undeservedly so, and we will be able to uh, have all those food items uh, grow uh, right there we uh, live. And, 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 and for me, an incredible feature of those uh, technologies is that actually they shift the uh, production capacity from being proportional to the area occupied to the volume that is available. So since the sun is providing so much energy, far more than, than, than we need, and, and Earth is radiating out back into space the excess, uh, if we capture even a fraction of it, 
we can feed not eight like now, but many, many more billions of people without negatively impacting the environment. Yeah, we already produce food for 12 billion. So, you know, there's massive, massive, massive waste and, and loopholes in the complex supply chains. There is something to be said, though, about um, the energy of a place, the genius lochi. There is something to be said about what grows in a land and in a place that you're that you're from, uh, that your heritage is from. And I, I'm definitely fascinated by the future of food and many implications that there are. But, you know, I think that it would be a pity to erase, um, you know, millennia of, of traditions. And when you eat an ancient grain uh, that, you know, is thousands and thousands of years old, uh, you're also, you know, the, the DNA of, of, of those plants have, have really have evolved with the environment. So once everything is engineered and, and put into hydroponics and into artificial landscapes, there is a certain energy in food, and we don't know about taste. Um, but, you know, I think there probably is some sacrifice on, on the level of taste, too, unless we you know, think that, for example, Beyond Meat is an interesting example. Beyond Meat is very enriched with a whole series of flavors that we don't know anything about. So you know, we've decided it's a healthier alternative than cow meat and the environmental impact is lower, but what is it bringing into our systems? We don't really know yet. So, um, you know, it is a conversation that can, again, can go into a stream. Uh, our, our, our bodies are extremely robust. We are mistreating them, uh, some of us. I am one of them. Uh, and, 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 and they just are able to recuperate and, and to keep going until, until they don't. But, but in the meantime, it is amazing. They self-repair in so many ways uh, both uh, the metabolism as well as uh, you know when we are hurt our skin it it is it is fantastic and one of the things that we realized with uh, with covid-19 is that through seeking efficiency um i.e. reducing the cost uh, and e increasing output with with a with a fairly extreme disregard to to everything else in our global supply chains we optimized for fragility mm -hmm. we optimized for um potentially negative externalities which came uh to bear in the current situation and uh, one of the lessons i hope that uh, uh, we are going to to learn is uh, to build more decentralized, more resilient, and more robust um, systems that very naturally, as you said, very uh, uh, spontaneously should uh, draw local uh, resources, local nourishment, local uh, expectations, uh, rather than necessarily and, and unavoidably go to the cheapest source even though on the other side of the planet? One, tech, one good, certainly, cause that uh, technology can also serve is to bring us, for example, the wisdom of the elders, 
there are so many incredibly um, culturally rich indigenous communities that we have so much to learn from. And, you know, we once were only able to learn about them in books. Now we can actually see them in film and in action. So it's, it's a, it's a very exciting time. I think it's just a matter of, of balancing everything. And that has to do with preserving the old, so old traditions, old cultures, old ways, some old ways do make sense, and bringing in the new. And that's where um, when you, the development of new technologies often ob obviously has an understandable uh, price tag on it and an economic value on it. And so it's really separating the purpose from the, you know, from the profit, which is necessary. I'm all for profit. But what I'm saying is, we, see, we take the example of Amazon. I, I'm not saying we need to open a discussion about that, but um, I was laughing the other day because I my password <laughs> for my Amazon account was 1,000 books. That's when you could only buy books on Amazon. And Did you just disclose your password uh, <laughs> on I, a live stream? I just, I just, I just thought, oh my god, I think I've changed. If I haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> that would be typical. Why, why, why don't I take over the stream? Let me exactly. talk to you about anything while Christina goes and changes her password. <laughs> <laughs> but just to say how the platform evolved and uh, how you know now it brings anything and everything into our homes. And so, I don't know, what is the right balance, and this is a question to you, um, between bringing a service to humanity and taking over this huge amount of power, which then is in the hand of very few conglomerates? I know that your next network society also, I mean, no, it investigates, I would say, a parallel, um, I guess, stream um to this conversation in fact maybe i've never asked you this in a big way but they we're talking about vested interests which in the end do touch upon all the major areas of of human production so it goes from food all the way to technologies so um the governance and the regulations of uh, private corporations needs to be updated so that we know we can keep them under control. And as uh, artificial intelligences, whose objective by charter is profit maximization at any cost, they must be kept under control. Otherwise, they have the ability to destroy the planet. Uh, exactly, because they are blind. But again, you said something before, which turns again to be very um, pertinent which is territoriality. Look at the issues between, you know, the, the GPD or however the anagram is and, you know, the control of data or, or, or data sharing in Europe versus in the United States. Um, those, well, those levels of governance are not global. They end up being territorial, despite the fact that we're talking about, you know, big. So, so I am, I am, uh, um, optimistic in the fact that both uh, corporations as well as AIs proper uh, and the difference is 
only, I'm exaggerating, but the difference is only in the speed of the feedback loops. Mm -hmm. Because corporations learn with a rhythm that is, let's say, quarterly. Yeah. Uh, and AIs learn with a rhythm that is probably a, a loop of a microsecond, right? Uh, in, in, in improving and adapting and pursuing their, their goals. But uh, the reason why I am optimistic that neither corporations nor uh, uh, AIs are going to dominate as a single entity the planet is the healthy competition between the United States and China. Mm -hmm. Very simply, would a billion Chinese accept to be governed by uh, an American AI? No, they wouldn't. Would the Americans accept for them to happen the same uh, from the Chinese part? They wouldn't either. And, and two is enough, even though uh, Europe uh, hasn't been as assertive in, in many uh, areas as, for example, it has been for um, uh, the, the data rights of uh, European citizens, even if it were not multipolar, just bipolar, uh, China competing with, uh, with the US and vice versa, that is already a good starting point for making sure that uh, a single solution cannot uh, dominate everything. And from one to many, that is a further step. And, and I believe uh, it, it, it will happen and it will keep happening. And then, yes, we need to uh, constantly be vigilant because uh, uh, we have our own needs uh, perfectly um, clear, uh, ideally, sometimes we don't. And, and nobody else. So we have to stand up for our needs, our rights, and and even even further to clarify and to fight for new types of rights uh, that that weren't clear before or they didn't even exist. Uh, the data rights of uh, uh, of uh, feudal vassals uh, were not something that a lot of people uh, felt uh, was insufficiently protected, right? So in the future, there will be new rights, and we have to get ready to fight for them. But what, again, another dichotomy is the speed of computation and feedback loop and the slowness of the human uh, brain, which, you know, has been wired this since well, the dawn of our time. And sure. then we, we need to turn that information into laws, into uh, practices, into governance that then has to reach the people and be in turn respected. So we're getting faster and faster on one end, but we're not speeding up on the other. So we often complain about uh, the inefficiency and the slowness of democratic processes, forgetting uh, that the consensus mechanism that must be reached uh, either between uh, Congress and Senate or between the two uh, parts of parliament uh, in, in Italy or wherever else is not a bug, it's a feature. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the slowness of passing a law is exactly there so that people can think deeply about the consequences. And that is why when a legislature uh, wakes up uh, six months after a, a law is implemented, oh my God, the unexpected uh, consequences uh, and side effects of the law are negative, well, they didn't do their job well because 
the slowness of the process should have enabled them to to think about those consequences before the law was passed and and then implemented. Uh, a, a good trick uh, that uh, um, improves the process. It's fairly simple. It doesn't require any uh, revolutionary technology or or radical changes in governance. Is passing regulations with some set clauses incorporated in them so that automatically they expire and then uh, they need to be reevaluated and probably updated before they become the better version uh, adapt in regulating whatever it is uh, in the new period and then sunsetting again and repeating that loop. Will AI help do that faster? Of course. Our governance will improve, our democracy will, will improve in, in, in many ways, you know. And, 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 and uh, on the other hand, a certain degree of slowness is, is a feature rather than a bug. I think slowness, I mean, we're discovering now the value of slowness in many ways, and I think it's important to be able to, to reflect more and <clears throat> to allow our minds to absorb, you know, a, a bigger portion of the huge stream of, of information that invades our space every day. But you have a daughter living in, in, um, in South Korea. Now, I think that going into you know, the crisis we're living, South Korea really emerges as the country that figured out the best way to face uh, the COVID pandemic, right? It seems like they've, they've really- to get, together, with, together with Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Singapore, uh, with the difference that uh, Korea had a, a, an important, a severe um, outbreak, similar to mainland China, and uh, they uh, were able to implement the um, tracking, the tracing and, and contact tracing that uh, enabled them to keep it under control. Uh, so, so there is now a, a pan-European initiative to develop uh, the infrastructure for a similar uh, app-based uh, approach that is uh, respectful of the, the privacy of the people. There is a map in Singapore where you can click and zoom on the apartment level and know if somebody is infected and then you select the person, you know the and sex, the age, <laughs> you know the sex, the age, and you know where they work and their transit route between work and home, totally in the open and transparently with everybody, right? Now, that's them. We will do it differently in Europe, uh, but uh, it, it, is, it is amazing how fast uh, we are learning from, from all of that. And, and uh, on, on, this, uh, on this show, I, I uh, sometimes already mentioned it, in 10 years, our entire mindset will be uh, completely rewired and we will marvel, marvel uh, how barbaric uh, the times were when without uh, the ability to prove that we are not infectious, we could freely enter a school or an office building or a shopping center infecting everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that won't be possible, won't be permitted anymore. And our society will be better for it. Fewer people will die, we will be healthier, and we will find the right balance uh, between um, uh, the deployment of those technologies and the right to our privacy. 
Now, so what uh, do you in, think the time gap is? Well, the easiest answer is to say 10 years, uh, but... Which are, uh, uh, from, exactly. It's just, it's the same 10 years that are really crucial to get it right here on our planet too. So there's, there's a misalignment between when the fruits of these technologies will, will really kick in in a significant way for the world population and our relation and interrelation and you know interconnectedness which is the underlying part with the ecosystems as long as we can keep people fed literally mm -hmm. over the course of the next six months uh, the economic and financial crisis kicked in by covid could be a blessing in disguise because it will uh, eliminate so many useless bankrupt companies and processes that are only kept in place through hidden help from nation states all over and then we will be able to reevaluate what we really need and and how we want to implement the new uh, types of social and economic organizations well i'll leave it with a question since it's the name of of this lovely segment i know but, but we are flipping you are a journalist <laughs> and now you are interviewing me that is not yes. fair yes it's so fair no i'm i'm i look i'm putting out there this you touched upon a key issue we all need to stay fed right uh well what's happening to the food supply chains is that we are lacking 370,000 workers who are the ones who come from abroad and who are actually picking and harvesting as we speak, right? So they can't come in. Uh, there's, unfortunately, there should be a clause that says that everyone who gets the reddito di cittadinanza should be working on, you know, uh, on some piece of land so that we can all be fed. What's increased instead is, unfortunately, the, you know, the, the illegal work so what happens is that those are people who need to survive if they don't work they, they they increase extreme poverty and no one's really actually paying enough attention to the complexities of this supply chain that is forced to work because they need we need to be fed so that's just an example of the you know going back to the sdgs uh of how each problem is deeply interrelated. So, you know, reducing inequalities and, uh, you know, decent work for all and good health and food are all tied into a system that we need to rapidly un undo, unveil and reorganize. Wonderful. Thank you for that uh, closing uh, thought, uh, Christina. It was uh, wonderful to have you on the show. If people uh, want to uh, learn more about you, uh, they can go to christinagabetti.com. Uh, and uh, I am going to uh, end with, with the hope that we can also uh, meet uh, in uh, the physical reality that uh, we still share and, and, and hug and be human uh, soon. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you, David. And thank you to who's been part of this conversation or listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So uh, thanks for uh, being with us uh, today on uh, Searching uh, for the Question Live. Uh, I welcome 
your comments both on the live show but uh, these videos keep living on facebook twitter youtube twitch and any platform that in the future we may uh, decide to experiment with so don't hesitate to go back and uh, and uh, look them up uh, also you can uh, watch uh, past episodes uh, conveniently on uh, davidorban.com slash sftql uh, and uh, i welcome your kind support on patreon if you believe uh, that uh, uh, this uh, show provides uh, value to, to you as well as uh, the other uh, content that uh, together with my team I uh, produce with an increasing uh, intensity. So thank you and uh, see you tomorrow with another guest on Searching uh, for the Question live. <music>